Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Welcome to the reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host Tony Acero. Yo. And unfortunately, apologies in advance. The episode title is a little misleading. The original plan for tonight was to actually have, for at least one night, a return to the podcast for Liz Puglisi, the co-hostess with the mostest. Unfortunately. Liz's personal life has gotten into the way, and she is unable to join us here tonight. Hopefully, down the road, she'll be able to make it up, and we'll be able to get her back on the show, especially since her man crush returned on Monday Night Raw tonight. Nothing, Tony? No. Helpful. How are you holding up out there, man? We're good. You know, living the life. Any updates as far as the bar situation goes? Um, as far as today, we have a date of the 15th, but, you know, things change on the daily basis, so there's not really any news. So to use the old wrestling axiom, card subject to change? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Seems legit. Um, there's talk about starting to reopen Ohio up beginning on the 4th after this weekend passes. We'll see how well that goes because yeah. this is a state that just within the last two weeks, in addition to everything else that's going on, had thunderstorms, a tornado, and a snowstorm all within the span of six days. Fun. Yeah, Ohio is about as bipolar as Sunny when she's off her meds. <laughs> You're not giving me much to work with tonight, Tony. Well, you're not being funny. <laughs> That's usually your job. I'm I'm the host. To to put this into a wrestling parallel, I'm the straight guy. I'm the oh god, I'm the Michael Cole. Yikes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Right. Oh yeah, well that makes you old ass Jerry Lawler. How's that sound? It does not make me Jerry Lawler. Um, real quick, before we get into SmackDown, let's start with Raw and the biggest news to come out of tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. Samoa Joe's back on commentary. Praise be. Thank God. 
how do you think Joe did in his return to commentary tonight? Joe did as good as anyone would expect, I'd say. Um, you know, it was a, a nice welcome back, really it was. It just felt so fitting. I don't know. It's, it, I don't want to just say, like, any wrestler can automatically be better on commentary, but I think that we've we've seen the proof that that very, mo- very well may be true. Do you think it's the fact that Joe's a little bit more tapped into the current culture in the WWE, whereas Jerry Lawler is still looking at wrestling from a perspective of 70s, 80s, 90s back in his heyday? No, I don't think it's that necessarily. I just think that he's a better commentator, period. I mean, regardless of the, the you know, current uh, views that he has or not, it's just a matter of just better at it, just better at his job. Uh, Jerry Lawler is very much a product of his time who hasn't evolved at all. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. So like, if you could, if you could have somebody from the past who grows with the product, then you can have someone who has longevity, but Jerry Lawler of 2020 is still very much the Jerry Lawler of back in the day. In fact, he's handcuffed a little bit because he can't be as free with his, you know, slightly racist jokes or sexually, you know, um, motivated commentary. So it's not only a a version of him that hasn't changed, but it's a stifled version of him that hasn't changed. So it just comes off as kind of annoying, to be honest with you. And it's not really, I mean, one would say it's kind of his fault, but I don't think it is because I think when they bring the king on, that's what they're asking for. They want, they say, you be the person that, you know, you've always been. And I think that, that kind of comes up with the interview that he did a few days ago with regards to the ramen noodle moonsault comment that he made, where he was saying that he was supposed to be the heel and the guys next to him were supposed to be like the guys that told him, shut up, like, stop, that's not right. Um, and he said that they didn't play their role because he's not used to how the king is. Now, whether you find that to be a viable excuse or not, it really just goes with what I was saying with regards to him not changing much, you know? Well, I would agree with that because I, I read the same interview that you were talking about. I read the highlights of the interview. I didn't actually listen to it, but I did read the highlights over at 411. And one of the things that he mentioned is if he had said something like that when neither Jim Ross or Michael Cole were his broadcast colleagues, they would have shut him down immediately saying, you can't say that, King. Come on, you're better than that. But because he doesn't right. have the chemistry with because he doesn't have the chemistry with Tom Phillips and to a lesser extent Byron Saxton that he does with a Michael Cole or a Jim Ross, they didn't know to kind of put him in his place there. The problem with the problem I feel with that is is that you're relying on the other announcers to do your job for you when you need to realize that in the current culture you can't say something like that, period. Yeah, I mean and the world has changed, realistically. The world has changed and the wrestling world has changed. So, again, it just goes back to what I'm saying, his inability to grow and evolve as a character and as a commentator. The the lack of evolution is very much there. And, again, like I said, it's not necessarily all his fault either. If I were actually sitting in front of the soundboard right there, I would have played Line in the Sand as soon as you said that. It's a missed opportunity. Regardless, you ready to talk SmackDown, Tony? Sure. All right. We'll hit the major points first, and that's the two Money in the Bank qualifiers and then the main event. 
The first Money in the Bank qualifier is a men's Money in the Bank ladder match qualifier for the blue brand, as the man that I couldn't remember who Drew Gulak was facing was King Corbin. I would rather he have faced Shinsuke Nakamura or Sami Zayn or Cesaro or Pedro from Catering. Corbin picks up the win as they continue the Gulak, Brian, Nakamura, Cesaro, Sammy interactions. I feel like <laughs> Shinsuke and Cesaro are going to end up getting involved in the Money in the Bank ladder match to cost Brian the match. Honestly, I wouldn't be I opposed know. to Shinsuke and Cesaro going after the tag titles and then having them feud with Gulak and Brian over the tag belts. Yeah, like the so the win wasn't bothersome because it's King Corbin and Drew Gulak. And like I said last week, these this whole like quarantine WWE is just I'm just not fully sold on it. I know that they're presenting it. It is like it's canon. Like it will be a part of the storylines going forward. It just doesn't hold the same weight. Period. It just doesn't have the same levity that um sorry brevity that the show should have. So everything just kind of seems like. Eh, it's like they get a pass, but it's not like a thumbs up. It's just like you do whatever you want right now because <laughs> so King Corbin does, winning doesn't bother me nearly as much as it would had this been you know a full on production of the WWE because I think that Drew Gulak being in a Money in the Bank match would a be really cool to see and b would be a good story better so better told than King Corbin and yet again a match where you know if he wins it's gonna cause just a lot of eye rolls. Um, but with regards to your idea of Brian Gulak and um, Cesaro and Shinsuke, yeah, I think that that would be great. It, at the very least, we'd get some good wrestling. I think Harry tapped out. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize my microphone was muted. I'm back. I had to use the you restroom, and I didn't think anybody wanted. I had to use the restroom, and I didn't think anybody wanted to hear that. In regards to your point about being more to do with Gulak inside of the Money in the Bank ladder match, I think that you're right in that regard because they kind of have a tenuous relationship between Brian and Gulak, and you could have them at odds with each other during the course of the Money in the Bank ladder match. I think this right here having King Corbin qualify <clears throat> sorry, allows for you to keep Brian and Gulak together as a team, and that's what leads to my idea about Shinsuke and Cesaro going after the tag titles to give Brian and Gulak somebody to feud with over the tag belts down the road to give us a fresh angle for the tag team titles rather than being stuck on the new day for a ninth, eighth, ninth, whatever time. Right. A women's money in the bank qualifying match sees uh, who was the last qualifying match? I'm gonna need you to give me a second because I actually have to look this up. I forgot. <laughs> okay. It's it's been a long weekend, Tony. All right, the women's qualifier for money in the bank was Lacey and Sasha. I forgot Sasha. Go ahead. Yeah, I Be know. Mad. I know. No, I was I was hoping that you would remember, but it's fine. If you had to look it up, that's you know what? You get a corona pass. My brain is frazzled. I ate too much chicken for dinner tonight too. 
Anywho, so two things to talk about here. One, the fact that Lacey actually picks up a somewhat cleanish victory over Sasha, despite the fact that Sasha had a very visual pinfall while Bailey had the referee distracted. Two, Tamina didn't blow her spot this week. Hey! I have zero fucking interest in Tamina as the number one contender. Like, even in quarantine times, it does nothing for me. No, yeah, there's there's absolutely nothing there. It's it's drained all interest in the into the women's program right now. What did you make of the way that they did the the booking for the um for the women's money in the bank qualifier? The fact that Bailey basically cost Sasha the match. Did you like this as the next step in the evolution, or would you have preferred to see Sasha in the money in the bank ladder match? Honestly, what, what bugged me about this is that I wanted to see this three years ago and then two years ago, and then last year. And I'm not saying I'm not going to enjoy it, but when you finally give me the tease of Bailey versus Sasha, it's during a time where it's just wrestling interest is at an all-time low. And it's just like, come on. I, it's possible that they could drag this out for a while, and I hope that they do. But I don't know. Like Sasha's not exactly a face right now. And I don't know that Sasha is the right one to be the face in this program. Um, and this is me flirting very, very um, close to, you know, fantasy booking, but I don't see Sasha as the face in a five-star match. You know what I mean? If that makes sense. They'll have better matches against each other with the face-heel dynamic reversed. Yeah. Well, that's what NXT showed us. I think that the, maybe the reason that the uh, the, the facial dynamics are going to be reversed is because they want to do something different than what we saw in NXT between the two. Uh-huh. Not buying that, or... No, no, I agree. Like, I just... I guess... Because, again, I don't want to write the show, but it, but maybe you could. What we've seen, just like you said, what we've seen has been solid between them two, especially NXT... But who was the face and who was the heel? And I'm not saying they should replicate that. Then again, why the fuck not, right? Like, <laughs> this shit was awesome. I think we've reached the point where it's basically the hardcores watching, like you talked about last yeah. week. Like, their audience is pretty much bottomed out because it's going to be the fans that'll watch regardless at this point still watching. And if it's those fans that would watch at any point regardless still watching, they're probably the people that watch NXT on a weekly basis. True. So they will already be familiar with that face heel dynamic that Sasha and Bailey would have had back in 2014. I'm okay with this. I actually, I, I thought Lacey actually had one of her better performances in this match. She did a really good job selling the hand as well. I thought. I mean, the girl's getting better. I'll give her that. You know what I mean? I can't deny that. Um, it just she might not be good me, yet, but she's advancing. Yeah, still a lot to to sign on for, and that's okay. I mean, she's not you know she's not doing this just to impress me, but she's also very new. Ability that you know in a year's time or something she's going to be solid. Also, it's nice to notice that her character is evolving a little bit. It's not the same Southern Belle. It's it's that that's the undercurrent of it, but that's not all she is anymore. <laughs> Now she's pissed off Mama Bear. Yeah. 
feel like Andrew would be saying something about Melfi if he were here right now. <laughs> I miss Andrew. I talked to him about guest starring tonight as well, but unfortunately he's too busy playing Final Fantasy fourteen. Read into that what you will. Main event was the in-ring main event, I should say, was Bliss Cross Applesauce defending the women's tag team titles against Dana Brooke and Carmella. Dana Brooke and Carmella, who had been a team for all of two weeks and are already teasing tension with each other over the fact that they're trying to get into money in the bank. Uh-huh. Makes perfect sense. Anywho, in the end, Alexa and Nikki pick up the victory by debuting a tag team finisher. Do you think it's a nice touch for them to finally have a finisher together as a tag team? I like it more than just the uh, individual finisher because at least it shows some signs of effort being put into the promotion of them as a tag team. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I don't really buy them as a tag team. I, I've never have, whether they're champions or not. I'm not against it because at least they're doing something and we get to see Alexa on TV, but... I don't know. I think that they would be better served doing something else. I want to slightly test your wrestling history here and see if you remember this particular move. I know where I know this move from. Did you recognize Alexa and Nikki's finish? Um, it is escaping my head. If anybody remembers ECW and Simon and Swinger, they used this exact move and called it the problem solver. Okay. I pro- I wouldn't have known that. It was a double, it says a double from DDT. Elevated flapjack into the DDT. Cute. As soon as I saw it, I'm like, hey, that's the problem solver. That's pretty cool, actually, because I always thought that was an underrated tag team finish, so. I enjoyed it. Overall, I like, I'm liking Alexa and Nikki as a tag team. I do think that eventually you're going to turn Alexa heel again just because I think she's more natural as a heel. But for now, in order to keep them occupied and in order to give the women's tag team titles something resembling meaning, at least it gets them on screen. Yeah. The two Money in the Bank qualifying matches for SmackDown this week, um, Otis versus Dolph Ziggler. And Mandy Rose versus Carmella. I don't like one if you're going to do the other. And the reason I say that is, personally, I would think that they would be setting up for a mixed, a mixed tag team match at SummerSlam or at a Money in the Bank. The way that the build has been going is Otis and Mandy against Dolph Ziggler and Sonya at Money in the Bank, although they might be trying to push that out to SummerSlam issue therein is now you're going to have at least one of these two occupied for money in the bank. My pick would be Otis and then Ziggler costs him the match. But then the uh, Mandy and Carmella thing makes no sense if you're not going to go the Mandy Sonya route here to qualify or much the same way you're going with Otis and uh, Ziggler. What are your thoughts on the two qualifying matches? And if you had to pick winners for them, who would you pick? I mean, match quality, probably Dolph. I don't I think that Money in the Bank match is going to be a shit show, regardless. Um, but um, going to be a shit show. I'd rather Dolph be in it than uh, you know someone else uh, than Otis, mainly because I think Dolph can handle the the sell job and everything. I don't know. I, I'm not saying Otis can't. I just think okay. visually Dolph might be the better choice. Let me preface that by saying this: 
We also thought that the Boneyard match and the Firefly Firefly Funhouse match were potentially going to be shit shows as well, and those ended up being two of the best things about WrestleMania. I don't remember ever saying that I thought they were going to be a shit show. I said I was going to wait and see. You were pretty down on the Boneyard match. Well, I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought it was going to be a buried alive match of some sort. Well, I didn't know what it was. I remember Kinda being very, was. very reserved, very reserved with my opinion, simply because I had no idea what they were going to do. I think it would be unfair of me to judge it before knowing. This, however, sounds like Edge versus Orton, and then it goes up to the roof. Well, that's a disturbing thought. Uh, what about uh, Mandy Rose and Carmella? Uh, this could go either way. Um, I think that kind of what you said, if um, Otis is going to lose, then I don't know if Mandy loses too. It'd be kind of cute to see both the losers, you know, console one another. Um, I don't think, I, I, I think Mandy's kind of proven herself. Maybe she deserves a shot at a somewhat different and bigger match. So I think this could go either way and I wouldn't care or I wouldn't be bothered by either one. I'm going to pick Mandy for the women's match, if only because Carmella's already had money in the bank. Now, I know this is a different kind of money in the bank, but if only because uh, Carmella's already been there, done that, this could be Mandy's opportunity to shine, even if she doesn't get the yeah. case, at least have the opportunity to shine in the match itself. I think we have to talk about how SmackDown went off the air, Tony. Oh, my God. Do we? Okay. Do I want? Do I want to? Not really. Triple H's twenty fifth anniversary appreciation ceremony. I've seen people that really enjoyed this. I've seen people that have hated it. There's been very little in between. Which side of it do you fall on? I didn't hate it. I just thought it was unnecessary. This was something like you do at home or at a house show. And, I mean, crowd, it would have been a little different because you would have been able to gauge the reaction and act accordingly. You know, I'm talking to Triple H and HBK specifically. Like, you would have been able to maneuver around things that you you felt weren't working, like any good performer would do. And both of them are good performers. But without an audience, you got nothing to gauge. And you just, they just droned on. It was like, it was like a Triple H promo. It just went nowhere for so long. It was like a Triple H match. <laughs> Um, and, you know, you, if you read about it, you know, Triple H claims he didn't really have any idea about this. This isn't something he planned. And I believe that. Um, and I'm not going to be one of those fans that's like, oh, yeah, Triple H never really, like, this is a self-fellatio. Like, I'm not going to go that far. However, it just didn't really, for me, of course, it didn't really add much to the show. So if I'm looking at this as a review of SmackDown, I could have really done without this. I generally fell in the middle on this. I thought the bit with Vince at the end was kind of funny. Specifically him turning out the lights on them because for all the times that Sean and Hunter it came out and made fun of Vince and taking advantage of Vince on over on Raw. Mr. McMahon character was still on Four Force and the DX thing back in 2006, 2007. For all the times that they got the advantage on Mr. McMahon, it was nice to see Vince finally get to stand up tall there. Uh, we also saw a side of, Mr. of Vince that we don't usually see on television, acknowledging Triple H as his son-in-law, which he almost never does on TV. And 
kind of looking tongue-in-cheek at some of the moments in the WWF, WWE that maybe weren't their brightest moments. Forgiving Bailey for This Is Your Life, for example, had me dying. Yeah, that's I also one of those things that I talked about last week, being self-aware and not really caring. <laughs> but overall, though, it wasn't great, but it wasn't as awful as some people are making it out to be. Filler, which is probably the nicest thing I could say about it, but that's probably not even yeah. a compliment in and of itself. Man, so much filler. And we had more of that tonight. I mean, thankfully they didn't do an in-ring segment, but that's really all this was about was, you know, padding the air, the airing. Lucha House Party still has a job. Yeah. And they're beating Miz and Morrison. Hey, hey, ho, ho. I'm jealous. (laughs) Seriously, who who made the decision to put Lucha House Party over Miz and Morrison? Like, I get that Uh, we're probably heading towards some big tag team cluster fuck-a-diddle. And I understand that. It is what it is. But really, really... Really? Damn it, again, I should have had the soundboard up. Anyway, regardless. Tony, what the fuck? They need more challengers, and they're in this weird position where they have to create somebody that's viable in a short amount of time, so they do what they always do. They make them beat the champion, you know, people that are worthy, um, not the champion, the people that are, like, big stars, so that for whatever reason you believe that they can the following week. I don't know. It's a horrible method of doing things, but they've been doing it for such a long time. They, they did it tonight. And uh, I don't know. It's, they, they just, they do things so ass backwards from building new challengers to bringing new people up, Thorn, like who we saw tonight, Vink and Thorn and even Theory, um, to returning stars. And, uh, again, we'll get to that tonight. Like, it's just so – it's like a balloon being deflated. Like, all the air is gone. There's no excitement. There's no air. So, so you see Lucha House Party win. You're not like, oh, shit, we got a viable challenger. No, you're like, okay. <laughs> Anybody got time for that? Truer words were never spoken, Darren. Ain't nobody got time for the Lucha House Party to be number one contenders. Sheamus and Jeff... Stop, try that again. Sheamus and Jeff Hardy appears to be building towards a singles match at Money in the Bank. Your thoughts on their match potential? I mean, the match potential is, is there. It's gonna, It should be good. Um, but yeah, as far as, as, far as the, the storyline goes, it goes, I just said it. Like, there's no, I don't know. It just doesn't seem important. It doesn't seem like a big deal. Jeff's return doesn't really, you know, it's not I don't really think that big it's of a deal. Be that good of a match. I don't think it's going to be that good of a match, if I'm being honest with you. And the reason I say that is, and I think you'll agree with me here, Jeff is an adrenaline wrestler. Jeff has his best performances when his adrenaline is high and when he's feeling the moment. 
with no crowd for him to feed off of against Sheamus at Money in the Bank, he probably won't be able to reach that next level, Hardy, that we see when the crowd is feeling him, when he's feeling the crowd, and when he has the opportunity to step it up and do stupid things for the adulation of the people watching because he can feed off of that reaction. Hmm. Well, guess we're going to find out. That wraps up SmackDown. There's a, there's a Sheamus squash, but, I mean, we already basically talked about the end result of that leading to this continuation of them planning Jeff Hardy versus Sheamus, so that, that is what it is. We move back over to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw, and again, bravo to Samoa Joe. Welcome back. We missed you at the commentary table. Fare thee well, King Waller. You won't be missed. For one of the senile old white guy at commentary, just have him hire Cornette again. All right, so do you want to kind of tie the six-man and then the U.S. title match together? Sure. All right, so the six-man tag, well, VIP Lounge opens the show. MVP welcomes Apollo Crews, Aleister Black, and Rey Mysterio, the three people that have qualified for the Money in the Bank ladder match on the Raw side in the men's match. They are almost immediately interrupted by Zelina Vega and her crew of Andrade, Angel, and... Austin AAA, as was pointed out in the on the Raw thread. Raw thread. I can't English tonight. The Raw thread over at the Chair Shot Facebook group. You can find us by searching for the Chair Shot on Facebook.com. And it leads to a six-man tag team match where Apollo Cruz pins Andrade center of the ring with the toss-out power bomb. Overall, your thoughts on the opening VIP lounge and then the six-man tag that followed. Um, so MVP being used how he should, which is great. Um, the uh, the match was kind of obvious. Um, I think it went a little too long. And, uh, again, this comes with um, quarantine. They're stretching the matches out to, you know, fill time. But the match is just you're running into the issue that we've seen before. You and I have had complaints about it before where essentially seeing different variations of the same thing on a week to week basis to the point where a nothing feels important and B we're just, we're losing interest. And that's kind of how I felt with this one where, where like in a matter of two weeks, I could already call theories, um, you know, move bank. He's big on the torture rack. He likes that corner drop of the head. Um, you know, like he he's, he's wants to show that he has this feat of strength because of the former bodybuilder side. Like you've already become a caricature, and you're not even a character yet. It's just it's it's the lack of creativity in the ring that they don't have because they're just doing the same thing with the same people. And you know, eventually the tire the crowd is going to get tired of it. The audience will get tired of it. And I think the difference is you and I can articulate it because we know what's happening because we know we watch wrestling a lot. The casual fan may not understand why they don't like it. They're just going to be like, eh, I don't have to watch this because it's not important. There's, there's nothing important. Literally the most important thing that happened tonight during this match was the Lena Vega's pants. Or lack thereof. <clears throat> America. I mean, technically, Puerto Rico's America. That 
leads us to a backstage confrontation where Charlie's trying to get in a word with Andrade. Zelina cuts her off because Zelina don't want nobody talking to her, Andrade, but her. Apollo Crews comes over, chuckling over the situation, and Andrade slaps him in the face, to which Apollo slaps Andrade back, and Zelina accepts the U.S. title match for later on in the evening for Andrade, which I'm guessing Andrade probably wouldn't have been too happy about, but that is a point that they did not even minorly touch on, and I thought that was a little disappointing. Also, the fact that she would do that. She should be smarter than that, one would assume. There's no game there, so... Even even out of even out of anger, like yeah. Like if if you were going to grant him the U.S. title match, make him earn it, make him put up his spot and money in the bank for the U.S. title shot, you know. Mhm. Because that's where I kind of thought it was going once they once Apollo talked about wanting the U.S. title, and then I was waiting for for Selena to say, "We'll put up your spot and money in the bank, and we'll talk." Because then that would have made Selena would that would have been smart. So that's why it didn't happen? Yeah. Well, regardless. Eventually, Zelina accepts the match. They end up having a match inside of the ring a little bit later on in the show. Goes about 16 minutes and referee stoppage due to knee injury after Apollo tweaked his knee, moonsaulting to the floor, and then apparently tweaked it even further, trying to roll through a frog splash attempt by landing on his feet off of the top rope. Tony, we talked about it the last two weeks. I don't need to see my wrestlers crying. Yeah. Now I'm not willing to, write... to say like they should be they should be like insensitive rocks, okay? Um and there is a time and a place for it. And if done correctly, it could be super impactful. This was not one of those times. Done is a way to pull Apollo from the Money in the Bank match, right? Well, you know, it's weird. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen next week. We're going to wait and see. But you built this guy up, and you and I didn't believe it last week, and I even said something along the lines of, like, well, I mean, it's Apollo Crews. There's really not much there. And then you do this, and it kind of – you're kind of reinforcing that mentality. Well, he can't even, you know – hold on to a money in the big t- match. I mean, uh, spot. So why should we sign on? Why should we sign off on him in the future? I, mean, I feel like they shot themselves in the foot. You mentioned the pairing that they have with Shane Thorne and Brandon Vink with MVP here. I honestly think Apollo is somebody who would seriously benefit from having MVP as his manager. Because just with the backstage promos that he had tonight, you can see that Apollo can go in the ring. He just can't talk for himself. He's not able to handle himself with the microphone, whereas I think I think MVP would be able to do a lot of the heavy hitting for Apollo, and Apollo could just be that badass that just goes into the ring and does shit a guy his size shouldn't be able to do. Yeah, and he did show a little bit of personality today. And you know what sucks is the minute he did that, commentary said, look at him showing a fire I've never seen before. Well, that what? why are you doing that? <laughs> Sounds like something Byron said. I blame Byron. Yeah, it most likely was Byron. You don't need to tell us that. Let us think that. Let us feel that. And also, I mean, you're the reason why we haven't seen that fire. So what are you talking about? I'm getting an advertisement for meeting Mexican women on 411. Nice. Don't do it. 
<laughs> Life ruiners. Yeah, they man. <laughs> that Latina temper will get you every time. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to move on here before I say anything else and get myself in trouble. <sighs> so, how do you get out of a triple threat match if you shouldn't have booked it in the first place, Tony? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Go ahead. Uh, look, man, I just, I saw, so I, I know there was a graphic earlier in the show and I, it just slipped my mind cause I guess I blocked Naya out, um, that it was going to be Oscar and Shayna, but for whatever reason, Oscar came out and started, you know, going off and, um, I thought it was just going to be Nia and Asuka. And I was like, okay, well, maybe Asuka will get her back. And then Shayna came out. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I went into the kitchen because I got hungry. And um, I made a joke in the report. Someone was like, did the report just skip from match one to match three? And I responded, no, Nia simply doesn't exist to me. So I skipped that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. That being said, Nia stands tall over Asuka and Shayna Baszler. You know, the two most dominant women in WWE over the course of the last three years. And for what? For what? Why should she be standing tall after everything you've done for Shayna? You made her bite Becky's neck. (laughs) Has anyone checked on Kyrie Sane after that god-awful tree bomb into the corner last week? Like, Kyrie nah, wasn't know. even in the building tonight, which makes me concerned that she may have gotten hurt on that. I said my piece about Naya last week. I'm going to go ahead and move on. What did you think of the contract signing then the show? Uh, Drew did great. Seth was his usual delusional self. Um, but again, no, not again, but Seth's whole idea is kind of very paper thin. Um, the Messiah is kind of losing his luster. The idea that he is doing this for the betterment of the fans and everything is like, he doesn't want to mention Corona specifically. He says he wants to be the light in this current darkness. And, um, that's cool and all, but I just want Drew to kick his face in. And maybe that's, I mean, that's probably the design of this program is just like Drew told him, just shut up. And that's what I felt tonight. Like, man, just Seth, just shut up. Like, Drew, kick him. And I think that that's what they're going for. So I can't complain about it too much. <clears throat> Murphy's back after missing a couple of shows, so that's nice. Yeah, and he got a good old hug out of it. And then he got kicked in the face. I'm okay with Murphy being the one to eat the Claymore tonight, though. I think you got to save that Claymore kick to Seth for the pay-per-view. Sometimes when it comes to building up your championship matches, less is more. You remember back in the old days, Tony, guys wouldn't touch until the actual pay-per-view happened. Man. Yeah, and faces weren't always trying to cheap shot people. That headbutt was stiff as fuck, though. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, it Back. worked. It worked depending on the character. It worked depending on the character. And Drew was getting revenge. You know, he was like, "You son of a bitch! You stomped my head in twice. I'm gonna 
I'm gonna hurt you. So that that kind of makes sense. But you know what I'm talking about? Some of those spaces where it's just like you know Becky attacking from behind and blah blah. Well, what's going on here? Like what? That doesn't fit your narrative of you know a fighter. So I'm gonna give you a comparison that you're not gonna like for Monday Night Raw. Are you ready? Okay. 1999 WCW Nitro. Oh, my. <laughs> Ask Akira Tozawa how the cruiserweights were treated on Nitro, and he'll give you the answer. You know, I'm, I'm not, not I am too upset. I, Go ahead. Okay. Let me, let, me, let me preface this by saying that I'm okay with Jinder Mahal's return. I would have been okay with Jinder Mahal having a squash victory in his return match would not have bothered me at all, as long as you did something with Mahal going forward so we don't get into that endless repeat squash cycle like we talk about on the show all the time. It should not have been Tozawa as the victim, especially with Tozawa in your cruiserweight title round-robin tournament. You know how Lashley beat up Denzel Desjardins earlier in the show? Like Larry says in his Raw report, what, was Cal Bloom too busy making a protein shake backstage? Yeah, should have been Tazawa. You're you're okay. You're okay with certain aspects of it. I wasn't okay with any of it. Um, look, I'm not a big gender fan. I think the only person that is is Greg DeMarco. Um, and Liz, <laughs> and yeah, and Liz, but Liz is a fan for other reasons. Um, so his return <laughs> wasn't something that I was clamoring for. I wasn't like, man, I can't wait till gender returns. Yet, as a wrestling company. You should assume that every every person is important, every character is important. So to have the return of a former champion should be kind of booked a particular way. Not one particular way, like this is how you do it, but should have a little bit more weight to it. And it just felt like tonight was so lackluster for even for someone like Jinder. It was just like you come – and I, I remember I put it in the comments before he even came out. I said it really, really sucks that we're going to get Jinder Mahal returning just to beat a jobber in less than two minutes, and that's going to be his, his return back to Raw. Um, and that's exactly what we got, and that's that's just lazy. I'm not saying he needed to, like, hit somebody with a car backstage or, or you know, like, be a secret mugger of Drew, but even that would be more interesting than what we got. Um, and they do this a lot. They do this with debuts. They do this with returns. It's just so... There's no punch anymore. There's no surprise. And even though it's gender, and, you know, maybe it's true that you and I would have the show tonight and be like, man, well, I guess gender's back. But I really don't think it is. I think I really would have been like, oh, shit, that was kind of creative, whatever it is that they would have done. And yet they didn't. They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything special. Now, as far as Akira goes, this is what bothers me. Um, we just saw Akira go pretty, pretty long with a couple of wrestlers over the past couple of weeks. And then Ginger squashes him. What are you saying to me? Are you saying that Alistair Black is less than Ginger? Are you saying yeah. that Alistair Black had a rough day? Are you saying that Akira got lucky? Are you saying that, you know, Ginger has better roids? I don't, you know, it just doesn't correlate. And yeah. that, that, that's what bugs me. That in conjunction with the lack of creativity of his return. Okay, two things to say about that. One... Just because I listened to so much something to wrestle with, I have to say this here. Hit that motherfucker with a car! car! 
so there's something to wrestle fans will appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think you do, I think you do a disservice to the um, to the other enhancement work that uh, Akira had done towards guys like Austin, like Austin Theory and Alistair Black by having Mahal come out and just browbeat him in a minute and a half. A damn shame, really. PWG Akira would not put up with this shit. <laughs> Did you ever get to see Akira when you were going to PWG? Or was he before your time? Um, no, I think he was before before I started going. Probably just before. I want to say he would have left around 12, 13, somewhere in that range. Sounds about right. Because the original Cruiserweight Classic was, what, 2014? When was I going on? It may have been, it may have been after that. Um, I was big on Kevin Owens, or Kevin Steen, El Generico. Um, who's the ref? I forgot what his name. The ref that used to be a wrestler? Rick, Rick, Got him. Rick Knox? Uh, no. Um, fuck, oh, he's Drake Younger. Yeah, Drake Younger, my bad. I'm sorry, Drake. If you ever hear this show, I'm sorry I forgot your name. Um, <laughs> he was big. Ricochet was, like, there once or twice, blowing me the fuck away. So I don't know what year. I don't remember what year that was, but um, that's when I was going a lot. Tozawa was there around the same time as Owens was because Tozawa and Steen were a tag team in PWG for a while. So Yeah. Well, maybe I saw him and didn't recognize him, but I was there for Owens' last match. I was there for uh, Generico, El Generico's last match. I was there when um, uh, Joey Ryan and uh, <clears throat> Candice had the uh, the tag team match where Candice bled like a fucking stuck pig. Um, the Guerrilla Warfare match, you mean? Yeah, against Young With Bucks. The Young Bucks? That shit was, mm-hmm. oh my God, that was amazing. Yeah, so I was there during all of that. Fun fact, Tony, that show's actually available on the High Spots Wrestling Network. Nice. You might be able to see I'm me. debating. <laughs> I'm debating subscribing to High Spots, actually. I'm thinking about it just because I have IWTV and I have, um, uh, obviously, I have WWE, but one of my other subscriptions is Shakara, and that's kind of covered under IWTV, so I'm kind of debating dropping Sakara and picking up High Spots so that way I can get, like, PWG yeah. and AAW and, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I one of the shows I sat next to Victoria. Actually, she was super cool. Um, it was a good time. See, seventeen-year-old Harry would be marking the fuck out at that statement because when I was like sixteen, seventeen in high school, two thousand one, two thousand and two, Victoria, I thought she was hot as fuck. Yo, Victoria was a beast. She was great, especially when you when you like that was around the time where we knew stuff. Like we were smart, but we weren't smart and smart. You know. So we were like, mm-hmm. you know, to watch a, a, a quote-unquote hoe turn into this amazing athlete and you being a part of it, it was just like, hell yeah, Victoria is one of us. Like, I don't know. I, I loved her her, her rise. I, I thought Victoria. And I still, like, even talking to her, like, during wrestling, she watches it the way I watch it. I'm, first of all, I'm, she was a fan. She was marking out. It was great. Um, I've talked about going to shows with Michael and uh, how I'm a little different, where I'm relatively quiet. Um you know, and, and, and I, she kind of did the same thing. Like, she popped when she needed to pop, but she was also just washing the fuck out of the wrestlers. It was really cool to see. 
it was like I was watching her watch wrestling. It was kind of weird, but part of the art. So what you're saying is you were stalking her like she used to stalk Trish. Well, she knew I was there. <laughs> Trish knew she was there, too. What's your point? <laughs> At least you weren't Mickey stalking her. There's oh, a line, Tony. <laughs> um, Liv Morgan beat Ruby Riot again, and that's basically all I have to say about that. Liv, sweetheart, please, please talk to someone to help you with your promos. Please. Please. You know what that was? That was the genesis of... Oh, my God. <laughs> Liv Morgan. Morganicuddy? That was her moment. And in that moment, that it moment right moment. then and there was her moment. <laughs> no, you know what? Liz has had a promo. We've seen it. <laughs> I feel really bad for her. You know, I mean, not everybody could be, like, in the moment, like, immediately after a freaking match. Like, why? Give her some time. <laughs> that was fucking brutal. <laughs> you, also have to, you also have to consider the idea that um, um, if she's super scripted, she's trying to remember lines. And that sucks. Like, if you're more realistic, if you're just chilling or you're just talking how you should be talking, then it may not have been so difficult. So I don't blame just her. I don't think that that was all her fault. 411mania.com backslash wrestling for Tony's Raw Review. This tidbit is from Larry's, however. Liv gets the post-match promo, still trying to find out who she is, but is confident about doing good lucha things at the genesis of the beginning of the era of Liv. <laughs> Some right on the point snark there from Larry. I think that's everything from tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw. There was also a um oh, no, that that's not. Oh, we forgot to talk about the um two things actually. One is the announcement of the tag team title match for next week between the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders. I'm a little bit surprised they're not saving this for money in the bank. Maybe go to a no contest finish next week and have the rematch set for the pay-per-view. I don't know, man. I don't know what they're doing with them. Um, We also have MVP showing up with a new tag team. We have Ricochet and Cedric there, too. So who knows? Well, Ricochet and Cedric are who we're going to get to next because I forgot to mention their match with uh, 3.0, Ever-Rise. If you would have told me when I started watching independent wrestling back in 2010 that Cedric Alexander 3.0 and Ricochet would all one day be in the main event match spot on Monday Night Raw, I would have said you were crazy. But lo and behold, April 27th, 2020, here we are. I feel kind of bad for Everrise because I think they're a really good team, but they're just not the kind of team that the WWE looks for, if that makes sense. Well, they're, they weren't given any type of anything. I mean, from the look that they have to the trunks that they're wearing to the lack of importance from the commentary team, they were, in many different ways, absolutely nothing. <laughs> Generic enhancement talent, sadly. 
Yeah. Which for people who have been following them for any length of time, they know what those two are capable of as a tag team. And in a time where you need bodies on your show right now, having them go out and have a barn burner of a match against Ricochet and Cedric could have established them as a potential threat in the tag team division, which you desperately need. Yeah, but they're the very not, least they they're not become, they're not they're not looking for a threat. At the very least they could become the new Hawkins and Ryder. You know who would have been a good Hawkins and Ryder? Hawkins and Ryder. Hawkins and Ryder. <laughs> well, if you listen to the newest episode of the Major Figures Wrestling Podcast, they're actually pretty excited about the future now that they're away from the WWE. Oh, I'm sure they're uh, Hawkins- sure there. Brian Myers has a ton of experience in independent wrestling and actually was a big-time star at the local major indie up here by me, which is AIW, Absolute Intense Wrestling. So once AIW is able to start running once again, I'm sure Myers, I'm sure Myers and probably Matt Cardona, Zach Ryder, for those who don't know, he's going by his real name now, will be making appearances there, and I'm looking forward to seeing them in a much more relaxed, independent environment. Um, that actually does bring me one quick question before we go to our final our final reaction here, Tony. Yep. Once this all breaks, once everything's all done and we can go back to our lives at normal, do you think you would be more inclined to go to more wrestling shows now than you did before? Well, personally, I'm a little wary about the public um, – just in general. So I think it's going to be a long Same. time before I put myself in a room um, in close proximity to a lot of people. And if you've ever been to a wrestling show, you are in very close proximity with a lot of people. And although I myself am a wrestling fan, one cannot deny that a majority of us tend to smell <laughs> and don't have the best of hygiene. So it's one thing to surround myself with a bunch of people. It's another thing to willingly surround myself with a bunch of wrestling fans. So it's unlikely that I will actively try and go to more matches or more shows than I did the previous year, at least for the foreseeable future. I kind of want to go to one once everything gets started again, just to set the business. I, I stepped down as commentator for Real Action Pro Wrestling. I, my heart's not in it right now. It hasn't been in it for a while. I felt like I was doing a disservice to the ladies and the gentlemen at the company. I'm not saying I'll never go back. I'm just saying for now I needed to step away. Even with everything going on, I had already made this decision in advance. But, like, part of me misses it. Part of me misses that live interaction. Part of me misses getting the chance to see people even if it's only once a month, getting the chance to see them go out there and, yeah, maybe these people would never make millions of dollars in this business, but for one night, for one night in a month, they're able to entertain people, and that means the world to them, you know? Yeah, I get it. I I do want to make a a better effort of supporting um, T-shirts and whatnot, but as far as a large congregation of people, it's just something that I, I don't really want to do yet. You feel safer in your bar? Yeah, because I control the flow. (laughs) 
And anybody who's non-hygienic, you can just kick out. I've done it before. I'm not surprised. Final reaction, Tony. Favorite match or moment of the week? Um, um, I liked Zelina's – I mean, over the past couple of weeks, I've loved her growth in terms of um, – not growth, because I feel she's always been this way, but her opportunity to – the opportunity that she's been given and the the work that she's been doing is great. Um, she went full Cardi B tonight again. You know, her Brooklyn accent was – our Queen's accent was out there like a motherfucker. And I just think she's doing really well with it. I think they need to fine-tune the motivation of the character because it's very spotty right now. You know, heels always look dumb, but – I think that they should change that. Just like you have Kevin Owens as the smart face, you should have a smart heel or at least a smart manager. A manager should be intelligent. Um, Otherwise, why would they trust her? So I'll give it to Zelina. And also, let's not lie, a a majority of the reasoning is behind those pants. Again, or lack thereof. Um, I'm going to go with the Andrade-Apollo match. I thought the match was actually pretty good for what it was. I thought it ran a little bit too long to get to where it was going, but I did enjoy the interactions between the two of them, even if it's a match that storyline-wise probably shouldn't have happened, like we talked about earlier in the show. Least favorite match or moment, Tony? Greg Watchery. Um... Nia Jax. I think it's going to be a tie between her and Tamina for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Well, at least Tamina's was contained to just one super kick this week, you know? Yeah, and, like, she has a role to fulfill. They're making making Nia a monster that we don't really need right now. There's not a need for a Nia Jax right now. Not in the athletic not in the athletic, never-say-die um, storylines that they're telling with the women's division on Raw. Nia Jax doesn't fit that mold. And stop screaming. It doesn't do anything. That doesn't do anything but pierce the ears of the listener and annoy people. And not in the good way. That's cheap heat, bro. Oh, God. I'm going to agree with the Nia thing. I thought having Nia stand tall over Asuka and Shayna was downright embarrassing tonight. Because those are two women that have completely and thoroughly outclassed her in every possible aspect of the business other than having a famous relative. One would think you'd want to be better. God, I'm just now starting to realize how much I violently hate Nia Jackson. And it's not like, and it's not like even I want to I want to see her get her ass kicked. It's it's legit X Pac heat. Like I want her to go the fuck away. This show is my therapy, Tony. Thank you for participating. Uh huh. Overall show ratings for Raw and SmackDown. I thought SmackDown was uh, seven. Move things along. It didn't feel too long of a show. It did what it had to do. Raw, I don't know, it just dragged on. Um, 
and you know they try to tell a story with Apollo. Um, I didn't really like the story. Maybe next week it'll be different. Maybe we'll see him persevere and show up at the last minute at the Money in the Bank match. Maybe, and that'll make it a little better. But tonight, I don't think they did all that great. I think I give Raw like a four. SmackDown was a six and a half for me, which is actually pretty good. I, I enjoyed the vast majority of the story points in there on SmackDown, and I thought that at least everything is continually progressing over on SmackDown now. You're moving forward in the Otis and Dolph Ziggler storyline. You're moving forward in the Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville storyline. You're moving forward in the Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman storyline. I thought they had a really good video package for Wyatt and Strowman that we didn't talk about earlier, too. So you're moving forward, even if it's not necessarily a match I want to see between Wyatt and Strowman. You picked the perfect word for tonight's episode of Raw, dragged. The matches were either too long to mean anything or too short to mean anything, if that makes sense. So I'm going to give tonight's episode of Raw a five. Who's your MVP for the week, Tony? Um, Zelina's pants. Again, or the lack thereof. <laughs> I'm going to give it to Alexa Bliss, just because I want it to be different. And I thought I thought Alexa did a really good job in the tag match, and I don't think we gave her enough credit for the job that she did on the, on the episode of A Moment of Bliss, which set up the Wyatt and Strowman storyline as well. So this one's kind of a backdated MVP to Alexa, in addition to her performance in the tag team title match this past Friday night. Cool. Where can people find you online, Tony? 411mania.com. Twitter. Occasionally, Instagram. Occasionally Facebook, on the chair shot. You know, yeah. Might show up there again a little later in the year. Who knows? Any updates on the new book? Um, I'm writing it. Started that new story, working on that. It's coming out pretty good. I still want to know what happens with the barber. Oh, yeah, so do I. Eventually, TonyAcero.com will be a thing again. It's under reconstruction. Mm-hmm. But as for me, um, Facebook, uh, sometimes on the chair shot, it's been a while. I'm hoping to get back soon because I just got my new laptop. So I'm hoping to get back doing some more articles again soon, more show reviews at least. Um I'm also working on my watch along. I've made it to August of 1996, Tony. Ah, that was a good year. Um, just past SummerSlam, heading towards Fall Brawl and Mind Games in one of the most underrated WWF title matches of all time. How long has it been since you've watched Mind Games 1996? Let's see, it's 2020, so 24 years. <laughs> I recommend going back and watching the McFoley and Shawn Michaels match from that show. Sure. One of the most underrated WWF title matches of all time. So I'm offering that suggestion to all of our listeners as well. He's Tony. I'm Harry. This has been the reaction here on the Chair Shot Radio Network. You can find 
the network online at thechairshot.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday with our predictions for the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Tony? I predict it's going to suck. Deuces, bitches. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday here on the reaction presentation of the ChairShot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. Thechairshot.com. Always use